I want to share a few testimonies uh, just from some outreach uh, testimonies. You know, we were in Greenville um, this past Thursday and Friday, and I did this course a few years ago with this guy named Doug Addison who uh, do tattoo interpretation. And we've done some of that. I've, I've had lots of cool encounters actually using that because people, most, most tattoos are there for a reason that, that means something to people. I, I do acknowledge that sometimes people get a tattoo and they don't really know why they're getting a tattoo, whether they remember it or not, or they just thought it would be cool and it didn't have any kind of meaning. But most tattoos do have meaning and where they're placed whether they know it or not, usually does have significance. And so um, we were eating at Tupelo Honey in Greenville, and that was pretty, pretty good food, good, good biscuits. I don't know if I'd put it up there with mine, but they're not quite as light and fluffy, but uh, they are good. And, but our waitress, she had that treble clef, music people, is that right? Just that, that S with the line through it. Um, she had a treble clef on her left wrist. And one of the things was is, you know, a lot of times with the Lord, when he's nudging you, it doesn't feel very supernatural. Uh, there's no, like, uh, sometimes when you get in the presence of God, like something might start happening to your body. So like a, sometimes my, my leg will start shaking. So it'd be really nice if I was on outreach and then like the moment... God wanted me to re minister to somebody, like my leg starts doing this. I was like, oh yeah, now I, all right, Lord, I'm on it. But it doesn't always happen that way. And so I just was like, she's got a treble cleft on her left wrist. And that, that was all I had. And so I asked her, I did know that one thing when you, in, in tattoo interpretation, it's very similar to dream interpretation, is that, um, the placement does matter. And so on, the on your right-hand side of your body, typically it means it's this particular thing is firmly established, all right? And these are generalities. There's always, you know, exceptions. But generally speaking, it may, you're, the first thing is you always listen to the Holy Spirit, okay? Anytime you're doing any kind of interpretation, he gets to trump any rules. But on the right-hand side of your body, it means it's firmly established because in the Bible, you remember, it says, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's firmly established. Then on the left side, it means it's something that you're kind of reaching out for. You're striving for it, maybe hoping for it. So she had it on her left wrist. And so I just asked her, I said, are you an aspiring musician? I see that music symbol on your hand because I didn't know treble clef. And she said, you know, when I was young, I was a teenager, I thought, you know, I really wanted to be like a pop star, music artist. And then I just realized I just didn't have the talent. And I would play instruments and it just wasn't great. And I would sing and it wasn't as good as other people. And, and she's like, you know, it's, I said, is there a reason you put it on your left wrist? She's like, I just, there's no significance to that. It was, I'm, I'm the case of telling your children not to get tattoos when they're, they're too young. And so she was just, she was going in into her story and I, I said, well, I know you didn't, you may not put like much thought behind where you put it. I said, but I do believe it has significance where it's at. And so I just said, I explained to her on the left-hand side, it means you're reaching out for something. And I just said, you know, you may not be a professional musician or anything, but it's, I, I feel like Jesus is, just wants you to keep dreaming and, and pursuing the desires of your heart. And he loves listening to you sing and, and play. And she just started crying. It was super simple. And I didn't even have like this, you know, great word of knowledge or anything. But it's, she, Jesus touched her heart right there. And it was just because of asking her a question. And there's nothing super, like I said, my leg didn't start shaking. I wasn't even sure whether to do it. I was just like, I'll ask her the question, see what happens. And the Lord ended up using it. And Anza likes to share 
the love of Jesus. I want to have Ann just share a couple of testimonies from some of her recent uh, reaching out. With the, we'll come out from the speaker. Yeah, thanks. Um, so, you know, the Lord kind of talks to us all differently, and usually the way it works with me is I get a word for somebody, or they're really highlighted, and I may, I may get one or two words, but not even a whole sentence, and I have to go up to the person and start giving them what I have before I get more. That's always the way he works with me. So I just want to encourage any of y'all, if you're waiting for a whole paragraph, <laughs> don't do that. Just step out on what you have, and he'll give you more. Um, but I work at the Potter's House out in Jefferson. It's a men's rehabilitation for drug and recovering alcoholics. But I am in a call center there, so I really don't have a lot of interaction with the clients during the day. So I have to catch them on the run when I'm walking to the bathroom or that kind of thing. And so one day, um, if I have a few free minutes at lunch, I'll do a quick walk around the campus just to get some exercise. And I was walking in the gym because it was rainy. And I'm walking around, walking around, and this guy was playing basketball, and he was just so highlighted, and all I heard was, he is my good, good son. So I went, okay. So I went up and introduced myself. His name was Jeremiah, and I said, Jeremiah, I, I believe I have some encouraging words for you from the Lord, and I just want to let you know he loves you so much. And I just hear him saying that you're his good, good son. And he just looked at me, and he just had tears in his eyes. And, he, and I said, he just, I don't know what you're going through or, you know, whatever it is, but he just wants you to know that today. And he said, thank you so much for telling me that. He said, I've been sitting here shooting some hoops and just working out how I don't feel good enough. And he said, I'm just telling God all the time, I don't feel good enough. And, you know, these men struggle with their self-esteem so much. So we just had a few minutes, and I was able to tell him, you know, it's not about performance and works. It's just he loves you just the way you are. So that was a real blessing. And um, then one day I was at Trader Joe's, and I walked in, and I'm always asking the Lord who is highlighted, who's highlighted for you, for me today, for you to speak to. And the minute I walk in, this precious girl is over here looking at the breads. And, you know, sometimes you have to finagle, finagle your way around and chase people around the stores. You know, have any of y'all done that? And you're taking your cart and follow them around and you're, you know, you're just, you know, you're, you're really feeling weird, but you just go for it anyway. And, um, so I was on my way over there, and then she moved over to the produce. So I followed my cart over to the produce, and we, I finally got behind her, and she picked out her cabbage or whatever. And I said, hi, you know, my name's Ann, and I know this sounds weird, but you were just really highlighted to me, and I just felt like God was really wanting to love on you today and, and tell you uh, a couple of things. Can I share them with you? And she said, yes. So I said, well, I just see he has a great plan for your life, and... And he's really excited about all the women that you're going to touch in your life. And, and I just feel like you're just such a mentor and a discipler. And you love one-on-ones with women. But I feel like someday you're really going to be speaking to a lot of women. And really empowering them with, you know, opportunities for um, small micromanage kind of, um, you know, work things to do. And so her eyes just beamed and... And, um, and tears just started rolling down her face, and she said, I can't, I went on a little bit more, but then she said, thank you so much for telling me that. She said, um, I was just last night just asking the Lord, I'm just not sure I'm in the right path. She's working on her PhD at UGA for um, business management or something like that. And she said, um, and I was just before I finish out my last two years, I was just not really sure I was on the right track. And she said, but everything that you are speaking of is what I have a desire to do. And so we just prayed right there in the store. People were saying, excuse me, excuse me. You know, we're just taking up all the produce section there. But she was, she was really, really touched, and that was really a blessing. And, um, and then the last one I'll share, um, 
because I really think it's fun to be able to lead people to the Lord. I mean, that's probably our greatest treasure, right, to be able to do that. But sometimes it seems like everybody I'm running into today already knows the Lord, so I am really almost get frustrated, you know. God, can you bring me somebody that doesn't know you? Um, but I think the gospel is any good news you give people, whether it's healing or a prophetic word or salvation, it's all this gospel. Um, but this one... Well, I was at a wedding in Raleigh about a month ago, and and uh, the lady who was the coffee barista at the little reception, uh, she was really highlighted, so I went over and just said, you know, my usual, hey, I know this sounds strange, but my name is Anne, and I feel like I have a word for you from the Lord um, that would, might encourage you. And I just saw over her that she really was, you know, going to be empowering a whole special group of people that were really impoverished. And, um, you know, I just said, you know, after I gave her that word, I said, are these by chance, you know, is this a dream of your heart or your passion? And she said, yes, yes. She was from Zimbabwe. And she said, how did you know this? You know, and I said, well, I knew it because Jesus is telling me that about you right now because he loves you so much. Do you, do you know God? And she said, yes, I know God, but I don't know all those other people. And, and I mean, so you mean Jesus and the Holy Spirit? And she said, yes, I don't know any of them, and, but I believe in God. And I said, so we shared for a while, and I really explained who God was, who Jesus was, and then he died for her, and, you know, would she like to know him? This was the person that was really giving her the word that I gave her, and she's like, no, I'm not, I'm, I don't think so. And so we talked a little bit more, and I said, well, would you at least let me pray with you that you would be open to God showing you who Jesus was? And she said, yes, I'll do that. And so we were able to pray, and, you know, and then I just asked the Lord to really reveal to her who Jesus was, and then he loved her so much. So, you know, I pray those seeds, you know, were helpful to her. Maybe someday she'll be open to Jesus. Yes. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. That's so good. Anne is, Anne's amazing, and I admire Anne's courage and love for people so much. Um, well, I want to talk this morning about running with endurance, and uh, part of it started off with me just having a picture of uh, about a week ago, where I was running, I had a backpack on and I just saw the Lord shedding the backpack off of me and where I was I was running without a backpack I immediately thought of Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 through 2 uh, through 3 and also it's it's interesting the Lord he as you walk with him he he starts showing you different things and I early on in my walk with the Lord I would I have lots of pictures and visions about war and battle and stuff. And when, in the early days, it was a lot of, it felt like a lot of the focus, and even in the pictures, was on me. And I mean, I, one of my early pictures of just God saying, you know, I want you to be a warrior was I was out there and I was in full, full battle gear but I didn't have a sword, I didn't have a shield, and there was an orc-type creature, which was a demon, you know, coming at me, and he raised a sword at me, and I, I caught his sword, and I just turned it around, and I, and I just looked him in the eyes as I just slowly pierced his heart with it, and then I just held him to my face, and like, this is really intense. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I pierced the, the sword through him, and I just held him, in my eyes, and I just lowered him to the ground, like looking him in the eyeballs. All right. Now, when I have pictures <laughs> of being in war, when I'm on the battlefield, I'm I'm naked and I'm kneeling, and then the Lord fights for me. And so, I think in that first picture, there's still a lot of Travis's strength in that one, and maybe some of my zeal, but now it's, it's coming to a place, and I'm, 
where it was more and more, it's like, Lord, you're the one who fights for me. I just got to get on the battlefield. I just got to get out there and then watch the Lord show up. But it's just, so utter dependence, I'm, I mean, you don't have any kind of protection. You don't have nothing to fight with. And I know, you know, Ephesians 6, we have the armor of God and the sword of the Spirit. But those are the things that, that, we, that we wield in warfare that it's the sword of the Spirit. It's the armor of God. It's not our armor. It's not anything that we have. It's, it's the Lord's. And so I saw this picture of running much in the same way as being on the battlefield naked and, and submitted, dependent upon the Lord. It's just that God wants us to run really dependent on him. And, when, and the more dependent on him we, we are, the better we're going to be able to run this race. And it's not a sprint. It's a, it's a steady, consistent pace. And... I've come into seasons where when I, um, there's, how do I describe this? When I first surrendered my life to the Lord, I had a job and I had grace on my life to, that was, allowed me to play catch up for all the years I missed, I felt like. So I was substitute teaching. I was able to read the Bible like seven hours a day. But I had, but that was like a supernatural hunger. Like I couldn't. I used to write my name in the dust on top of my Bible before I gave my life to the Lord. I had it on my headboard, headstand at the bed. And I, I remember sometimes I would just write my name in the dust on the Bible. And then the Lord, whenever, by his grace, set me up to have time, first of all, and then also the hunger to read his word. I had a stack of note cards this big, that all verses that I was trying to memorize. I would leave, every teacher I substituted for, I was leaving them notes with scripture. And, you know, I was, you know, I was witnessing the kids, all kinds of stuff like that, and I still share the gospel. But I came to a point in my life where I was, I started feeling like some of that fire had gone. And I was like, Lord, where's the fire? Where's the fire? And in the midst of it all, the Lord was, te it was teaching me how to run with persistence, how to be steadfast. Travis, are you going to do these? Are you going to do these things? Are you going to seek me when you when you don't feel the fire? Are you just going to believe that the fire is there? Are you going to believe that I'm in you? You know, one of the things that. Um, having played, played sports, we used to, me and my buddies that we played with, we'd, we'd get hyped before the games. And you got some good warm-up music, and you're, you're out there, you're thinking, you know, I played basketball, so we're, we're trying to get as high as we can on our layups for me. And so we're going out there, but we're, we're emotionally, we're jacked up. But then if that team comes out and they just, bam, 10-0 run, all that hype's gone. You go in a, uh, a football game, you get gut punched by the other team. All that hype just, bam, it leaves. So what are you left with? You're left with like, have you built in, into yourself like a discipline and a routine that you can fall back on that's not based on your emotions? I love emotions. I love getting hyped. Like I said, like a, it's... I love it all, and whenever the Lord touches our emotions, we need that. We need our emotions healed. We need to feel his passion for us. Worship, I love encountering the Lord. I love, I cry at movies. I was watching, um, I thought about showing this clip uh, during this movie, but I ended up change, kind of changing the subject of my sermon, but I was watching uh, the, the flag scene from the movie Glory. Anybody know that movie Glory? Where... It's the first black regiment in, uh, of the Union. And they were fighting. There's a guy carrying the flag up the hill, and he got shot, and the next guy got, carried the flag, and he got shot. And they just stormed this hill. And I'm, I'm in the, the coffee shop, and I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just. 
everything's good here, you know, but so I'm a, I, you know, I'm a, I, I love getting encountered by emotions. I, I, I weeped for five, 15 minutes after one of the This Is Us episodes. <laughs> this is no lie. I mean, God encountered me. I was like, God bless This Is Us because without trying to ruin it, I, after one of the episodes, Jessica, the first episode I'd watched, I cried. And I was like, all right. Jessica had tried to get me to watch this thing. I was like, I ain't watching This Is Us. I ain't watching that. And, but then she said, just, you know, part of it was I kept falling asleep whenever I had tried to watch it. Then I actually finished the first episode and I was crying. I was like, all right, I'm hooked. Okay. <laughs> and so we get to this one particular episode and it wasn't the Super Bowl one, but I, haven't, I hadn't cried at any of the sh- episodes up until this point. We finished it, Jessica uh, goes into the other room, she comes back, she says, I just find it so strange that you have not cried. Because I'm the, I cry more at stuff than Jessica does or even my kids. And so, um, and so she's telling me that I'm laying in the bed and she says, I just find it so strange that you haven't cried yet. And she does, Travis. And I'm just, she says she saw my nostrils flaring. I was just like. <laughs> and then every time I closed my eyes, it was, it was like windshield wipers, like, tears, closed, gushing. And Jessica was so sweet. She just came up to me and she just held my arm. She said, Travis, are you okay, honey? I was like. And I just cried silently for five minutes and then the floodgates, and I, I just, I, said, I went, the reason I'm crying is because I, it's just, Jack Pearson, I mean, it's just, I don't want to do ministry, I just want to be a dad. I just want to be a dad. That's all I get. I just want to serve these kids. I just want to serve you. That's all I want to do. It's in just another 10 minutes, I'm just crying. Yeah. <laughs> but like God had already been doing this thing. I, we had a men's meeting, just called, it was called a call to war about dads just simply praying for their kids. And what if, what if their kids... What if our kids, we left the legacies like, yeah, my dad was a prayer warrior. My dad prayed for me. And, my, and, I've, and it's, that's one of those things where if you go off the feeling, it's not going to happen. We'd, most of the time when I pray with my kids is, is I pray for them throughout the day on my own. But when I pray with them and specifically for them is before they go to bed. I'm tired at the end of the day. I mean, there's sometimes I, I'm snuggling them, them in the bed and I fall asleep in the bed with them. And, and so if I go off emotion, it's, it's just not going to happen. But if you build in the routine and the discipline of it, and then you, you fall back on that. And now the kids are my accountability because sometimes I've, I've forgotten a few times and I might walk as I love you guys. Y'all have a good night. Dad, are you going to pray for us? Yeah, thank you. Break out the scripture, pray over it. Because when I, if I can't, if I'm too tired, I'm just going to pray some scripture over them. You always win with that. <laughs> and so, um, that's been that's been built in. But I, it's it's what if Dad's left a legacy? Just because we we know of grandmas. I had a praying grandmother, and there's moms and grandmothers that. People talk about all the time, I had a praying mother, I had a praying grandmother. But what if we had praying grandfathers, praying dads on top of the praying mothers and praying grandmothers? So run with endurance. I want to read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So we'll start right here in just verse one. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So one of the things in order to run with Jesus is we have to, we have to let go of our baggage. Um, one of the things we tell married couples when, that, or pre, when we're doing pre-marriage counseling, rather, and sometimes married couples, but you, you bring into a relationship, you bring a treasure chest, and you also bring some baggage. Everybody does. And the baggage is usually the stuff that you keep finding in your hand. You think, maybe you thought you dropped it off, but then you look down, you're still holding it. And it's those patterns, it's the circles, it's the same issues that keep popping up. You're like, why am I dealing, why is this happening again? Why is it, it's the cycles and the patterns. And typically those things are, are roots. Because roots, I've, we've had a fig tree that we've been trying to kill. And it won't die. We finally just, and then there's some, there's a holly bush. You ever try to kill a holly bush? They... They're like uh, mosquitoes. You just can't ever get rid of them all. And so it's because they have some, the root system just doesn't die. But you have to, like John the Baptist said, you got to lay the ax to the root, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And so a true repentance is actually, there's a, there's a fruit involved with it. There's a good fruit. So if there's bad fruit, you have a bad root. If there's good fruit, you have a good root. But we want to lay the axe to all those bad roots. And, and the way you lay the axe, your wep- part of your weapons of warfare is forgiveness. You identify where maybe this pattern's coming from. It, was it something you saw in your parents? Was it something that happened in school? Whatever it may be. But you forgive those who wounded you. You repent. This is the key. You not only forgive, but you repent for judging them. Because Romans 2 says, what you judge, you will become like that. You reap what you sow. He who sows to the flesh will reap destruction. He who sows to the spirit will reap life. And so when you, when you stand in the judgment seat of, of God that only he deserves to stand in, you'll, you have to reap what you sow. And you, you become the judge and you've displaced God and that just doesn't work. And so you, you repent of any judgments, any ways that you've condemned those people and you forgive them. Okay, so that's, that's just a very uh, surface way of, uh, um, you can go much, you could do like a whole conference on all that, but that's how you get started in that process of shedding the baggage. Um, we, we, we just have to trust Jesus for our journey. Now as a, well, I'm getting ahead of myself, anyways. Sin, sin holds you back. So it says the sin that so easily entangles it's so close sin is a trap it's a well but it keeps you it gets you stuck and the way you get out of sin is you simply repent and then look at Jesus if I focus on my sin I'm gonna I'm gonna do what I set my eyes on from I set my eyes on Jesus if I'm concerned about following Jesus I'm gonna be much more likely to get out of any kind of immorality or any sin that's in my life as opposed to to trying not to do that thing. If I'm trying not to do this particular thing, if I'm trying not to steal, I'm like, oh, I'm not gonna steal, I'm not gonna steal. That ten- it's gonna feel really powerful because I'm giving it all my attention. But if I'm looking at Jesus and hey, Jesus isn't stealing, I'm just gonna follow Jesus. If I get my eyes captured, Jesus doesn't steal, he's not immorality, I'm following him, I'm doing what he's doing. If I'm worshiping him, fixing my eyes on him, you end up casting the sin aside. But Jesus has to have that, that, fir- that focus in first place in your life. We also don't, do not need to carry anybody else's baggage. So like Galatians 6 says, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
And so this is where we, we're giving help and we're giving support. Somebody's, we, we come along and we help them up. But when somebody just wants to live in dysfunction, we don't have to necessarily support that. You know, Jessica grew up in a family with addicts. And there is lots of, there is support for dysfunction. There is enabling. And it didn't work out. It didn't help that person at all. But the moment somebody is actually willing to take ownership of their stuff, then that's when you can actually help them carry that thing. But it doesn't mean that you don't show mercy, you don't give when it's not deserved necessarily. Because Jesus, he lays it down really clearly for us what love looks like. He says, if you love only those who love you, what good is that? Even sinners do that. If you give to only those who will pay you back, what is that? Even sinners do that. <laughs> so we're called to love on a different, whole nother level that's actually not really humanly possible. You gotta have the Holy Spirit. And so the, the human love is tick for tack. You, I do this for you, you do this for me. All right, but God's love doesn't work that way. Do you wanna say anything about that? So this is not a sprint, we wanna finish well. So how do we lay aside these things? We look to Jesus. We fix our eyes on Jesus, as I, as I mentioned. When I was in high school, I didn't run track, but I heard the track coach say this. He said, you know, if you're, if you're running and you're looking down at your feet, you're going to go slower. He says, but if you look like 50 yards ahead of you, you're going to run faster. And so it's the same is true for us. When we, when we look up, we're not looking into our belly buttons all the time, but we're, we're looking ahead, then we can actually run. Now, sometimes Holy Spirit says you need to look at this, this uh, fuzz that's gathered in your belly button, and you get that out, okay? But it's only when the Holy Spirit's telling you to. There is the joy that was set before Jesus that he endured the cross, despising the shame. That word despise means to think nothing of. Jesus was taking a shame that wasn't his own. Jesus did nothing to deserve the shame that he was bearing on the cross. The ridicule, the mocking, the punishment for sin, he did nothing to deserve any of that, yet he took it upon himself. And I remember teaching school is just the best example that I can think of. Before I, I taught one year of high school, full time, before we moved to Texas. And the Lord, in pre planning that year, He said, Travis, you're going to have to take some shame upon yourself to reach some of these kids. I was like, okay. I didn't know exactly what that looked like. But one day I had a kid, I was, you know, high schoolers are pretty clever. I let a few kids go to the bathroom, and then all, everybody's raising their hand, I want to go to the bathroom. I, go, I got to go. And every, like, literally everybody was wanting to go to the bathroom. And I just drew the line. I was like, no, we're done. Y'all can hold it. <laughs> and this uh, one kid, um, he, he's like, he started cussing me out, calling me a racist because I stopped with him. And I said, let's go out in the hall, man. And I just wanted to punish him. I just wanted to send him to the so you go in the principal's office, you ain't going to see the light of day for five days. <laughs> You're going in the hole. <laughs> I, just wanted, I just wanted him to get punished because he did this in front of all these other kids. He was subverting my authority. <laughs> so I took him out in the hall, and I just, and I just was, I, I remember I just, I was like, Lord, help me. And I said, listen, you may talk to your friends like this. You may even talk to your mama and daddy like this. But in fourth period social studies, we have a different culture. I don't mind you disagreeing with me, but we have to do it respectfully. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's like, yes. Yes. 
And I said, all right, sir, we can agree that we'll, you can disagree with me. I don't mind that. But we're going to treat each other with respect. He's like, yeah, coach. I said, all right, go use the bathroom. And I, in that moment, I was like, I lost. I lost. I gave in. But, it, no, but that was the point where the Lord said, no, that's taking shame upon yourself. Not giving what was deserved in that moment. Willing to take embarrassment, open defiant, defiance of authority, just to teach this kid that there's another way. That kid was like an angel the rest of the, the year. And I'm not saying that's always going to happen. They're not, they, they may not turn out to be angels the rest of the year. But that's when, it's like what the Lord showed me. is like, yes, that's taking shame upon myself. Because I just wanted him to, it's like, you need to be punished. You, need, you, you can't do that. But he didn't know. And so Jesus said, forgive them for they know not what they do, right? So that's what Jesus did for us. He took that shame like that. He wasn't getting what he deserved. He was getting what we deserved. But he took the punishment and the, the embarrassment, the ridicule, all that, that we deserved upon himself. And he also saw that there's reward on the other side of the cross. Jesus knew his father was going to resurrect him. He's like, I'm the son of God. I'm not staying dead. <laughs> and so he knew he was looking to that reward on the other side. He's like, as he says, when my father raises me up, he's going to give me the name that's above every other name. That every name in heaven and under the earth and in the earth must bow. But seated at the right hand of the throne of God, consider him, Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So it's telling like anytime you're feeling persecuted, discouraged, people are coming against you, just, it's, it's literally saying, remember what Jesus went through. Remember how, many, how much misunderstanding Jesus had to endure. Right? That's like one of the worst things that, that humans go through, that we, we don't like it when people misunderstand us. Right? And there's full of that. A world's full of misunderstanding. But Jesus, he, he had the people that he was called to. He had the Jewish people. He had Gentile people. They didn't know who he was. But that wasn't what he lived for. He lived for his father's voice. He, he, he got away to be with the father. So that when the other voices came, they were the voices of strangers. Now, in verse 1, it says, therefore, let us run. So what is that therefore, therefore? So whenever, whenever you read the Bible, if there's that word therefore, look back to see what it's there for, all right? Now, we go to Hebrews chapter 11, and this is the famous chapter of faith. It talks about all the, the heroes of the faith. The hall of faith is, some people call it. Verses 1 through 3 and 6, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And so this is verse 3. It says, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was made out of things that are visible. So if God operates this way, how do we need to operate? Maybe you have a loved one that doesn't know the Lord and you need to, you know the will of the Lord is that he doesn't wish that any should perish, right? See, you, you speak that thing into exist, existence just like the Lord did. It's the will of God. He wants people to know him. He doesn't want anybody going to hell. And so you declare as that you shall be saved. Loved one, you shall be saved by the word of the Lord. And you, you speak those things into existence. 
Now you have, you have full authority. There's an automatic yes on the word of God. Okay. Speaking a portion to existence may or may not happen. I'm not saying it won't, but there's no guarantee. But if you stand on the promises of God and you declare it, you shall be saved or you will be delivered. It says the seed of the righteous shall be delivered. I pray that for my kids. It's like, Lord, I'm made righteous by the blood of Jesus. My seed, my children shall be delivered from anything that comes against them. I can, I can know that God wants to put a yes stamp on that. And he did with the blood of Jesus. So by faith, we understand the universe was created by the word of God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. God wants you to know that there's a reward. There's a resurrection side to every cross. There's a, there's a reward to every trial and, tri and tribulation. Paul said these light and momentary afflictions are nothing compared to the glory that awaits in Jesus Christ. Everything's temporary, but the things of God, the rewards of God are eternal in this life and, the one, and when we're uh, the one to come in heaven. I want to highlight a few of the people in this, in this chapter. Noah, by faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events, as yet unseen. Now remember, we're, we're going through this. This is how we run with endurance as we look, we look to these people. We look to their example. In reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So imagine this scene. It's never rained on the earth. You're building a boat. And that boat is taking 75, 55 to 75 years to build. And it says that people mocked him back in Genesis, that he was, people didn't understand. And it says, out of reverent fear, Noah, this was the only thing he was concerned about. God, I'm gonna do what you want me to do. And all the outside noise did not matter to Noah. As a result of that, of looking in the world's eyes like a fool, he became the heir of righteousness and the human race was extended through his line. Thank you, thank you, Noah, for obeying the Lord. Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. I'll go back. So Abraham, he's looking, he's being called by God and God's promising him an inheritance that he's not, can't create. <laughs> he's looking forward to a city whose foundations and designer and builder is God. This is what we look forward to. We're looking forward to a city, the new Jerusalem, whose designer and builder is God. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. <laughs> the promises of God that haven't been manifested in your life, greet them from afar. Say, you're welcome here. <laughs> Just say to the prom promises of God, say, you're welcome here. Just extend your hand and say, you're welcome here. <laughs> but having seen them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. I think this is one of the things that we, we miss out on sometimes just in the church is that this isn't our home. We live from a different kingdom. We live from a different world, a different value system, a different culture. We're not of this world. We are... We've been given the DNA of Jesus. We've been given the culture of heaven. So we're not of this world. And when we start seeing ourselves that way, it's like, hey, I live with a different value system. I live from a different place. I live from heaven. 
I'm seated at the right hand of God in Jesus Christ. I seek things that are above. And I set my mind on things above, not things below. And you start living that way. But you have to first see yourself that way. It's like, this isn't my home. You know what? It's like one of the, you, you feel pressures in the atmosphere, okay? I go to uh, the soccer fields and I start feeling this, this hook on me. Compete, 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 crush, crush, crush. And part of it is because I have the, uh, you know, that's like one of the things I, has, I had to get over. I'm still getting over if I'm completely honest. And so um, now I got over Georgia football competitiveness. I don't, it's honestly when Georgia lost the national championship, man, Brian Poirier looked, he was like, well, it's over. Didn't show, I mean, I just didn't, but now my child's involved. That's a, you know, it's, and, and that's a whole different story, you know. So it's like we're, we get, you get in these environments. It's like, oh, and I, if, if, so for me to be aware is like, hey, I'm stepping into a competitive zone. And I got to really sink back in the Lord. Then that's, that helps me. Sometimes you feel the pressure of the world um, where um, I think buying a house is great. It's a great investment. Nothing against buying houses. We are planning on doing it. But if you're doing it because I'm this certain age and I need to, I'm supposed to get a house right now and it has to be this big or it has to look like this, or I need this, this certain job because this is what you're supposed to do at this age, in this stage of life, this is what America says is successful. There's that pressure there. But you don't live from that place. You live from like obeying the Lord. Mike Bickle says, sometimes, you know, what God, even God is so kind that he not only takes into account like what you give to him financially, he takes into account what you're giving up financially. Maybe you're earning potential. Maybe you could be a CEO that makes 200 grand a year, but you're making 50 grand a year off support or something like that. It's like the Lord sees that. He sees the sacrifice. And again, I'm not saying anything against um, prospering or anything like that. I, I want everybody to prosper because then we can fund the kingdom better. But I'm saying you, you just have to, you do have to do what the Lord's telling you to do, not give in to any kind of pressure, but you're just following the Lord and following where, he, where he's telling you to go. But you have to think outside of the culture. For people who speak thus, verse 14, make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. 15, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. And this is what happens to us sometimes. Sometimes we return back to the world, the ways of the world, the values of the world, the culture of the world. And the great thing is you can just repent and get out of it. It can change like that. You can get out of it like this. The Lord's made it easy. But it's just changing the way we think. It says, but as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. And that's what we're after. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This is talking about the, the eternal reward. Moses, by faith, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt where he was looking to the reward. But the scripture says this in other places. It says, blessed are you when you're persecuted. <laughs> Peter said, rejoice. Or, or Peter and, uh, who was it, James? I may be getting the other person wrong, but when they got persecuted for preaching the gospel in Acts, they, they were like this, thank you for counting us worthy. I mean, it's like, I mean, who, who does that? You know what I'm saying? It's like, <laughs> And it says, but they, this was what Moses did. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. And it's because they're looking to the reward. 
They weren't looking right here and now. They're like, this is, this is a light and momentary. Man, the guy I coach soccer with, we were just talking about, he's like, you know, there's not really any difference between like 50 years old and 80 years old and 100 years old on the continuum of eternity. It's, uh, you just, you take like a little, you can't, even like the head of a pen, you just tap that line of eternity that you can't even see it. That's, the, that's what your life is. It doesn't matter, like 50, 80, 100, it's all like just a little pinprick on the, the continuum line. And so eternity is much more permanent and real, actually. What more shall we say for time would fail to tell us, would fail me to tell of Gideon, uh, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, all by the Spirit of the Lord. Women received back their dead from, by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. They were living for eternity. And they paved, they paved the way for us. And so we go back to Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us therefore cast off the sin that so easily entangles and every encumbrance upon us. Because look at, look at these guys. Look at how they lived. And consider Jesus, who's the apex of all, all the examples. The, shine, the, the, the brightest example. Consider him who endured, despised the shame. So I want us to stand up. So I just um, keep remembering this uh, um, scripture in Matthew 5 where it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And um, I remember about I don't know, seven years or so. For some reason in my head, I give credit to Matt Knoxville for this, but I don't know if he was teaching or if we just were together when we heard someone else say it. I don't know. We did lots of Bible studies back then. But um, it was just pointed out to me one time that it doesn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. It's a big difference in peacekeeper and peacemaker. So just think about that for a minute. People who keep the peace make sure that there's never chaos. But if you're going to do this, there's going to be chaos. Like it's going to get really uncomfortable to live from a different kingdom. Right? So if there was never going to be disorder, we wouldn't have that scripture about how to be children of God. Because he said, blessed are the peacemakers. So you've got to make peace out of the chaos. Right? And how do we do that? So I was just, I just felt like the Lord in Travis's encouragement to us today is saying like, sometimes with this, I saw that backpack like Travis had on and, and we just want it to be easy for people. And for us, and it's not going to be easy. The safest place you can be is in the middle of the storm with Jesus. And he'll make peace. So, and you'll be called the son of God. But what we want to do is we want to start taking those things out of the backpack of those that we love, right? And we want to put them in our backpack, but we weren't made for it because we want to keep the peace, because actually my life is easier if he's okay, <laughs> right? Like if you're easy to get along with, then my life is easier. But if you're grumpy, 
<laughs> then like my life is hard. Vice versa, right? With our children, with our parents. But it's mostly with these people in our like real close circle where we try to keep the peace rather than be peacemakers. So I just felt challenged by God to be okay with the struggle and embrace being a peacemaker. And for each situation, I think it's different. I don't think I can stand up here and be like, this is how you make peace. (laughs) But I can say that trusting God is always a factor in making peace. So if you're gonna be a peacemaker and start at home, whatever home is, if if you're not married, start with your parents. Start trusting God with your siblings. And then if you are married, then start with your spouse. If you've got children, include them. Start at home. Don't start trying to be a peacemaker at work first, okay? It's easy, all right? So like do the hard moving and then move out, right? Easier to be a peacemaker with people who don't directly impact you. So, um, so anyway, I just wanted to give us that. I felt really challenged by it, and so I just want to pray for us. Lord, we just ask you to help us. You have called us to be sons of God. You tell us to run with perseverance, and we get so tired because we try to keep the peace. We're so distracted trying to keep the peace. How can we make life easy? So we just surrender this morning as sons and daughters of the Most High God, and we say we trust you. Forgive us for any way that we haven't trusted you. Forgive us for the way that we put our trust in those closest to us, where we try to trust our spouse, our parents, our children. Just get our eyes back on you to trust you, that we will be called sons of God, We will be peacemakers, living from a different perspective. We open ourselves up to receive that. We realize we need you, God. We need our DNA from heaven to do this, to embrace the chaos, to embrace the struggle, and let you work it all for our good, not us. Thank you, God. Yeah, and I, I bought a T-shirt this weekend. It's one of those Life is Good shirts. And it says, life is not easy. Life is not perfect. Life is good. And I think that's, I was like, that's such a good thing to declare of yourself. Life is good. It's not easy. It's not perfect. But it's good. So if we have the uh, worship team come on down. And I feel like the, the response this morning is just to, I feel like even in that backpack that we carry sometimes, there's even some good things in there. And there's some things that they're just not the best. The Lord wants the best for you. They may be good, but it's just not the best. And it may just be something that you, you just need to like declare clutter your your heart you know sound or declutter your life it, may, it could start with making life a little bit simpler logistically for yourself um, I think there is power in that but it could just be Lord whatever it is you know even if the Lord wanted me to give up this is us which I totally think he would but it, anyways I'm just I didn't get the joke but it's but if it but what, this is us has to be on the table you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Even though the Lord touched me through this is us. But it's, it's that, those types of things that we have to be willing and respond. And this is the, the beautiful thing about the, the voice of the Lord. There's no condemnation in it. And there's empowerment in his voice. Those things that are personal. There's not, there's not like a scripture and verse for what TV shows to watch, Right? So you gotta respond, you gotta actually hear the voice of the Lord. There's not scripture and verse for what school to go to, what job to take, so you gotta hear the voice of the Lord. But when the Lord speaks, there's no condemnation in it. It It's not heavy, 
it will be direct some, a lot of the times, but there will be like a grace to be want to do it. And you're like, yeah, Lord, I'll do that. And so uh, we're going to worship to one more song, but this, that's just the response, just to, just to give, it, give it to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm willing to be willing. I'm willing to be willing. All right, so let's worship.